Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 161. We don't live in normal circumstances. This week we're discussing season 3, episode 6 of Angel, Billy, and season 2, episode 2 of Battlestar Galactica, Valley of Darkness. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Alright, so Billy is the mm-hmm. episode this week. Um, as I say, it it kind of triggers that, you know, uh, such a sweet, childish kind of name for like a very, very dark episode. Um, you know, Billy. He's <laughs> like, sounds like, you know, mm. your nice little boy next door. Um but obviously that's not exactly what he is. Um, So yeah, I wanted to kind of start with all the, you know, before we get specifically into the effects of Billy on all of the other characters, wanted to kind of talk about him up front. Um, Sure. And uh, yeah, so just before we started recording, we were talking about just the reminder that we've seen him before. Um, that he was introduced, uh, before, uh, and was, you know, the, the guy that Angel, you know, which they make reference to, but Angel, you know, rescued from his sort of burning, you know, cage in his own little private hell, um, you know, in order to save Cordy, you know, at Lila's sort of bidding when she was torturing Cordy with, you know, uh, all the really painful visions and, you know disfigurements and everything yeah um right uh and that was so just real quick to sort of put it in context that was the episode where we saw that was that vision thing Mm -hmm. um which is uh the first episode that we have written by jeffrey bell Mm -hmm. who's a new new writer this season and who i think i mentioned goes on to eventually become the showrunner for angel Mm -hmm. um and then this episode is co-written by Jeffrey Bell and Tim Minear. Okay. So, you know, it's like together they sort of make a two-part story with like three or whatever episodes kind of in between them. Mm-hmm. Um, so just just to kind of place it in context of, of where we're sort of headed here. And I think, like, I think that's the first time, I mean, it's certainly not the first time where we've had like, characters leave and then come back because you think of like warren and buffy and you know like he does his thing and then goes away for a while and then now he's back right you like you know and uh i'm sure we've had that before but like i feel like this is pretty much a two-part story because mm-hmm. we get billy we you know we get the introduction of billy and then we get billy's death at the end or presumed death um i'm not i'm not trying to imply anything by that but like right you know, like, you know, it's pretty much wrapped up um, here. So anyway, just thought I'd mention that little bit of production piece of it. Right, right. Um, yeah, so in the kind of part two, you know, of the story, um, we, you know, I feel like they, they uh, hinted in the first bit at sort of what, you know, not exactly the nature of Billy's particular kind of evil, but 
the fact that he was evil was, I feel like, you know, sort of hinted at, like, you know, you kind of were, my memory of it is like, you know, you kind of have this, this human, you know, guy held prisoner by this, you know, scary looking demon, but like, as we were also talking about before we started recording, you kind of realize pretty soon that the demon, you know, as we've come to see, is not, you know, necessarily the baddest guy you've ever seen. Like, he's kind of nice, you know, he had an annoying commute. And, um, you know, you kind of get the sense that he he kind of lets Angel know that he's doing his job and, and cautions him about who he might be letting loose on the world. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you have this sort of... Right genial but scary looking demon and then this sort of very normal even kind of nice looking man who you know turns out to be the real monster which like you know when when he's leaving in the car with lila you kind of get the little triumphant smirk from him you know that kind of look at angel that you know is sort of arrogant and you know kind of says like oh sucker you sort of let me loose and you shouldn't have so, you know, they definitely kind of set it up to be questioning, you know, what ex- exactly is his sort of crime? Um, and then even at the end of the episode, Angel is, you know, kind of saying to Cordy, uh, I had to do what I did today and I can't think about the consequences, the, the domino effect of that, which mm. obviously implies that he's aware that there might be be consequences um you know sure uh because he's not going to beat himself up about freeing an innocent person there's already that sense that maybe billy should not be loose in the world right so yeah so we get to see about that in particular this episode so yeah we find out that um he doesn't necessarily directly hurt you know, anybody himself, rather he sort of infects other, he infects men in particular with, you know, his power, which we find out is in his blood, and it turns them into these raging, misogynistic killers, um, mm. you know, who kind of, it can take different amounts of time depending on, you know, the the person, I guess, but basically they'll end up turning on, you know, any women who are, you know, happening to be around them. Um, so maybe before we get into kind of what that symbolizes or means, we definitely wanted to bring up his uh, family connections, um, hmm. which is interesting, uh, you know, so he's the son of this very uh, important and powerful congressman and you know in light of today's political atmosphere it's definitely ringing true for me that you know uh those in power certainly have a certain immunity to you know uh wrongdoing you wouldn't like to think that they're all harboring billies in their houses necessarily but you know there's a truth to that that like he is he's protected by you know the power that comes from being in the family that he has. Sure. Sure. And well, 
in in two ways, right? So there's genetics because like we get the we get the understanding that Billy's not entirely human. Mm-hmm. Uh he's more human than Angel, but mm-hmm. we don't really know what that means cuz right. like like we've been told like vampires are, you know, in the past and I, you know, who knows how strictly they stick to this mythology all the time. But at least in the past, we've been told like vampires are like an impure demon, right? Like they're, they're infected with humanity, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, so to speak. Um, So, you know, there, but there is a sense where like, maybe, you know, if, if we're, if we're going off of like, you know, orders of purity, Mm -hmm. human purity or whatever, like, Billy's like even less pure demon, but he does seem to have something not human in him. Mm-hmm. Like, so there's, you know, more human than a vampire, but less human than human, so to speak. Right. Um, but, you know, where does that come from? Like, obviously that's, you know, we, we get the sense that like that sort of half human, half demon, like Doyle was, you know, mm-hmm. comes from a, biological coupling of you know human and demon so you know like there's there's the genetic factor there but there's also the the sort of i don't know dynastic factor Mm. i guess you know of being part of a powerful family Mm. which you know may or may not necessarily be genetic like it could be you know married into or you know adopted into potentially or you know whatever like like there's that sense of Right. Um, it's almost, you, sorry, finish, and then I have something. No, I mean, I think I pretty much said what I had to say, just, it, you know, that sense mm-hmm. of, like, by virtue of not, of, of you know, your family being in a powerful position, your monstrosity or your, uh, you, you know, I mean, I feel, I feel like you can compare it very well to, like, maybe the Lannisters in Game of Thrones, <laughs> where, like, they just get away with a lot of crap because they're the Lannisters. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and because they're Lannisters, they've had a lot of inbreeding and, you know, whatever. Like, right. you know, it just, it's just that thing of, yeah, you, you're in a powerful position, but also you're, you know, by being in a powerful position, you don't sort of have, have to do what normal people have to do, which is to maybe hide some of their worst aspects of themselves Mm -hmm. from others because they don't have the protection of power around them, so to speak. Right. Right. And when you're kind of saying like, uh, different ways that could be like, is it married into, is it, or whatever, it it almost makes me think like, is there a kind of Faustian bargain here? Like how did they get so powerful in the first place, you know? And maybe that could have something with the kind of demonic aspects that are, you know, yeah. in the family. Um, yeah, you know, and of which, course... So I the, mean, the two could be directly related, even. Sure. And we already know that, like, those are the types of clients that Wolfram and Hart have to begin with. Right. So, like, that makes sense as an explanation just based on that factor, too, you know. Right. But there's also the sense, too, at least from some of the family, that he's an anomaly within them because you get the fear of, you know, the, the cousin that we see who kind of says like, um, uh, what does he say here that, uh, you know, when that was funny, when Angel gets there and, you know, are you a friend or I'm looking to kill him. Oh, come in. You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, friend then, you know, friendly, like, you know, friendly to me. And, um, 
you know, and that sense of we we have understood rules of how to handle him, you know, how to handle yeah. him to keep him away from hurting you and, you know, your your wife or your kids or whatever, but also not to piss him off. You know, they can't just tell him how it is or directly act against him because then they become victims of him. So there's a kind of fear of him, but also like a tolerance, you know? Um, Yeah. Well, and, and you get though too, that there's also a sense of they're protecting the family name in that way too. Right. So they're, they're, you're avoiding direct harm, physical harm mm-hmm. to the family, but you're also at the same time covering up the things that he does to others to protect sort of the reputation of the family. Right. And, you know, not, you know, to avoid scandal and that kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah. To kind of, you know, delve a little bit more into the metaphor, you know, obviously, you know, misogyny is the sort of theme of the week. Um, Really? I I didn't pick up on that. And interesting, (laughs) interesting coming right after uh, the last Buffy episode, you know, where, you know, I felt like that was a lot of what was interesting about the last one was, um, you know, the, the barely suppressed you know, attraction and also anger that the kind of outcast geek trio have towards, you know, Buffy in particular, but, you know, women in general, I think. Um, Yeah. You know, and this is a different, this isn't necessarily, I don't feel like Billy represents, um, you know, that kind of outcast guy so much. Like, he's not necessarily painted as, you know... Mm like in those sort of geek tropes, the way that they were as maybe somebody who's been outcast and marginalized themselves and then sort of takes it out on, you know, the women that they feel they can't have or whatever. Like it doesn't really give that kind of backstory to Billy. It doesn't really give any sort of explanation for why he does this other than that he can. Um, Mm. Like he even says, like, I don't even really, I mean, obviously he's not being, fully truthful but according to what he says he he doesn't think women are worse than men or hate them it's just that he can do this and so he you know i mean obviously you you look skeptical and i'm i would agree with you i i would well i would just point out that like his explanation for why he dislikes men as much as women is that the men sleep with the slutty women, right. <laughs> you know, like, like, like the women that he dislikes men is because, you know, of the women that they associate right. with. So like, it's still kind of, it's the women's fault. Right. In that right. Instance and then too. they give so, up, like, they give up whatever, whatever else they have in life, you know, to, to right. try to get yeah. these women. To placate the women or yeah, to right to get them or whatever. So so even when he's saying he dislikes men, it's he dislikes men because of women. Because they you like know, women, like, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so yeah, no, it it's definitely uh, yeah. I would agree with you. Like, and and that's one of the interesting things. Like, I know we're in like our third season with Angel now, and I think we I feel like we pointed out a number of times already where 
you know, the storylines have sort of lined up in such a way that like you do get similar themes, you know, from a Buffy episode and an Angel episode sort mm-hmm. of back to back, um, which I hadn't ever picked up on before because I've never watched them sort of in this order before. So that's well, that's definitely interesting. And it's definitely a, a darker and more adult version of it. You know, it's like sure. you get the, the right. adolescent version of Buffy where how does misogyny assert itself in adolescence? They harass her. You know, they right. like... They follow her it's, around, they stalk her, and they give her yeah. a hard time with with jokes and pranks and stupid, you know, things like that. Right. Um, she can pretty much handle them, you know. She's more powerful than they are in that situation, but they make it kind of just generally hellish and annoying to kind of be her for a couple of days. Whereas here... Sure. It's power is very much on the side of the fully grown, you know, adult male who, you know, in this episode is like the guys who get infected by Billy start killing the women, you know, so it's definitely a more, you know, a a more brutal version of that same kind of idea. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and maybe maybe is you know where one leads into another like like you get the sense of the trio like you said they're the outcasts and you know sort of feeling like you know maybe they were the nice guys who just got overlooked and like this is the next step in that evolution of Mm -hmm. like now they're you know their association with women is so uh messed up that like you know this is their attempt at getting attention right and this is how they figure out but like at some point you know maybe it evolves into the more uh outward disgust and you know direct uh abuse of women you know that billy sort of exhibits and that kind of thing mm-hmm. or billy causes others to exhibit you know right um through his which you know is an interesting like even that like okay so misogyny is the metaphor of the week but even that aspect of it that you know it's like that thing of if if we want to get into uh political statements Mm. for a moment um but it's that thing of like where where even like a year ago when you were hearing at like trump rallies and stuff like the things that he was saying where it's like you know, he would say things like, if somebody throws a tomato at me, you know, beat him up, you know, kind right. of I'll stuff. Right, I'll pay your legal fees. And, and yeah. I'll pay your yeah. legal fees, yeah. And and that kind of thing. Where And and the sad thing is, of course, that, you know, people did get hurt mm-hmm. at those rallies. You know, more often than not, minority people mm-hmm. got hurt at those rallies and, you know, being taken out and that kind of thing. And so, you know, Trump maybe isn't, the direct mm. cause of that hurt and you know whatever but certainly incited it mm-hmm. and like i feel like there's so like un, like in a, in addition or maybe as a second layer to that mis- misogynistic metaphor it's like the metaphor of like not really a demagogue because like i don't feel like billy's a demagogue in mm-hmm. the way that trump is sort of right. demagogue-ish but like 
you know, as he's an insider, mm. he's someone who like, you know, his, he's misogynistic certainly, but his misogyny isn't direct. It's, it's that indirect, right. you know, sort of in, infecting, not through blood, but, you know, through words or through ideas mm-hmm. of, you know, putting a woman in their place. And you see that even with like the cops that Angel talks to, or not the cops, but um, like the cabbies, right. right? That Angel talks to where like, like, you know, they're talking, talking, and the Angel's like, oh yeah, she had it coming to her, right? And they're like, oh, well, I'm not saying that. Like, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not misogynistic. Right. I just have this belief that, you know, she maybe kind of deserved it a little. Right. And, you know, I don't know, right. just that, that not, right. di- not through direct contact, but like through that, spread of ideas and and that sort of viral or infectious you know thing that happens right and i hadn't really thought about it that way because billy's not like not the demi honestly i had until just now (laughs) so like (laughs) that's why that's why we have these talks um like billy's not the congressman himself but like by virtue of his powerful family he stands in as the the rich, um, privileged authority figure who, yeah, like that is a a useful metaphor of the guy who has the power and the authority to just suggest things that other people then go carry out and take, and take, literally take to the extreme, take to their natural conclusion. You know, it's like, even if, he just has to suggest a vague idea and other people will, you know, act on those ideas. And Billy right. doesn't have to be the one to act directly to yeah. still be responsible for it sort of at the root. Like, like maybe he's the Jeb Bush. He's never going to be president, but he might get a local office, you know, right. like, <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. Jeb uh, is way too nice to be Billy. <laughs> right. Um, no, 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 I, I know I'm, what you I, mean. <laughs> Dynastically speaking. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah. So, definitely, I mean, one thing I have to say, like, as heavy-handed as the metaphor sort of is, mm-hmm. like, and may- maybe this is even a little, like, uh, uh, paradoxical to say it this way, but, like, it definitely does feel like a heavy handed metaphor, but like, it's also like pretty well done. I think mm-hmm. like, I'm not, I don't think it's Tim Minear's or Jeffrey Bell's like best episode, mm-hmm. but like, I think it's a solid one. Like I think the way they do it and sort of the creepiness of Billy and you know, the, um, just sort of the, the, the way that like, Wesley changes over mm-hmm. and you start to see it in gun, but you know, mm-hmm. he gets knocked out and, and you think angels even going to be at that point too. Like, I just, I feel like it's pretty well, yeah. pretty well done. Um, and even like, even with like the cops, right? Like you get the sense of like, you know, you have the female cop driving and the male cop kind of in the seat and you get like, you know, he's just sort of complaining at first mm-hmm. and she's like, oh, I hear it all the time. You know, I'd, I'd tell you with my finger if I wasn't driving kind of thing. And, and, but then it, it's like that one step too far mm-hmm. and then more steps 
you know, too far. Right, and, right. And it, you know, it just becomes like that thing. And it, it does sort of show how that, like, I, I almost said, like, how women can let it get too far, but, like, that's placing the blame in the wrong place. Like, so, apologies. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like, but that idea of, like, maybe between friends you do sort of relax right. things and let, like, your coworkers or let someone you associate with a lot, like, maybe say something slightly misogynistic one time and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they don't really mean it. I know they don't really mean it. And, but then it becomes more than that and and they you know like again like not i don't mean to place blame on women but maybe you know like by not stepping up they do sort of let things get out of hand and then like the guy thinks well it's okay and like right i can be my real self and whatever and and you know yeah i think that's what it stops it from getting like i don't think it is very it's it's very clear like that's definitely what it is there's no mistaking if that's heavy handed, mm. I guess that's what that is. Like it, there's no confusion about what this is talking about, but I think mm. what stops it from getting like bad just generally is that, um, it's very recognizable, you know, like, mm. like you said, like all of those different examples, whether it's like Wesley or Angel or the the cab drivers or whatever, it always starts with like one or two lines that you don't register at first as very, you know, overtly misogynistic. And then it kind of progresses. But all those things where it starts are things like you hear, like, you know, things I've heard, you know, things we all hear of like, you know, all the stereotypes of, and, you know, a lot of times, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to be you know sexist i think but like in this episode it seems like it always comes back to you know the or at least in several cases like the the nagging woman you know who either won't shut up or won't listen to you or is won't let you tell her how to drive the car or will tell you how to drive the car whatever it is you know and that's something you know you hear on a very regular basis you know, sure. so it's not, it, it doesn't start with like, at, you know, uh, you know, the 11, it kind of starts like very, it was something very kind of every day. And then yeah. it kind of amps up from there in each case. Um, so yeah, I think that kind of, and like the fact that it is unfortunately relatable, like to hear people use language like this or to have cases of violence like this or, you know, these sorts of things. Like it's hard to call that a heavy handed metaphor when that's part of daily life as we know it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And, and maybe, I mean, maybe heavy handed, maybe I'm not using that term sort of right. I I just mean like, it's certainly not a subtle metaphor. And I feel like, I, I, I feel like in our other episodes where we've had, like, like I would think another episode where I would describe as an unsubtle metaphor is beer bad, you know, like, <laughs> right. and I just like, there's definitely a much different quality to this. Yeah. Than, yeah. In that episode. And yeah, maybe it's just the writing, you know, or whatever, but I mean, maybe, maybe that's maybe what you're saying is, is a bigger aspect of it that 
it just is so much more relatable. Like it, it does start out with that sort of offhand comment that's maybe slightly sexist or, you know, it, it could be read in a non-sexist way. So you're maybe not sure if they really mean it in a sexist way, but, you know, then just kind of grows and, right. and gets worse. Right. Um, and, and, and not only grows and gets worse, but like you realize the direct, just as there's a direct line from, you know, the geek trio to this, you realize that's the violence is in, implied in that seemingly innocuous language. You know, mm. the two don't always correlate, but like just because you hear it all the time and you're used to it doesn't mean that it doesn't have that kind of yeah. anger lurking behind it. Um, you know, and so, yeah. So one other thing kind of generally before we transition to like talking about the specific characters was it kept reminding me, um, uh, of a fairly famous Margaret Atwood quote, which I'm trying to see like if it's was one thing or I, I'd have to look into like exactly when she said this in the context and everything, but mm. something I see shared a lot is, you know, um, you know, that, uh, her quote about why are men afraid of women and why are women afraid of men and that men are afraid that women will laugh at them and women are afraid that men will kill them. And so yeah. there being on a one sense, inequality there of, of, fear and and feeling like you don't understand you know sure. the 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 opposite sex but also the inequality of those things you know of the one yeah, being the, about right. ego or humiliation or you know or being seen as whatever authoritative or desirable or whatever it is and then on the other hand it being a physical fear you know of Mm. you know response to anger and everything yeah. um so which i feel like it things in this episode kept reminding me of that um you know so i think it is tapping into something sort of truthful there yeah, yeah no i mean that's i have seen that quote before and it always i mean it gives me chills so i can only uh, imagine for women how that you know must feel but um right and pro probably i can't imagine that well about it but it you know it's yeah there's definitely a huge difference in uh uh trying to think of the word not quality but like uh, uh magnitude between sure. those two things you know uh i mean obviously like i i'm not i'm not parting, imparting any great insight here it's just there it, it does when you sit back and think about like the difference between yeah like two guys sort of you know talking junk to each other is never going to be as bad as hmm. you know a guy sort of doing the things that all the guys in this episode do and and except for angel and hmm. we can talk about him specifically like it is is literally every guy you know it's like mm -hmm. you know going back you know going back to the not all men hashtag <laughs> kind of thing you know what i mean like mm -hmm. you know yes all men kind of thing or yes all women experience that as i think was the response mm -hmm. right um 
so like but it it like is every guy in here it i mean like you wonder about like the cousin right mm-hmm. he he has examples of how you know to not let billy influence him but why does he have that mm. knowledge now like is that because in the past he has been influenced by billy like has you know maybe maybe he's like a reformed guy but like he's still a guy mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like that you know maybe he still recognizes that that those impulses that billy draws out are there and so only through sort of careful you know self control and and insulation from billy that he allows himself to right and and sort of the fear that he has when billy comes over of like he doesn't maybe quite know how what's going to happen here right. and maybe maybe there's a fear there that he'll get drawn into whatever billy's right. thing is or you know potentially back into if he had right you know at one point been affected by billy um so you do definitely get that sense of you know the yes all guys you know right. so to speak right or um, even the you know you ta- you mentioned that in in the very act of protecting the family name you know mm-hmm. in, in by shielding billy in whatever way you know even if that means shielding him from victims that's still complicit and so he's still not you know you know standing up for you know the 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 people that are being harmed by billy it's sort of he's just doing damage control he's not really taking any sort of stand on the issue um which you know isn't okay so he doesn't actively you know attack anyone like we see the other men do but is he totally squeaky clean not not really probably not probably not um so yeah um okay so i kind of wanted to start with for like the specific characters, the kind of subgroups that they're in. Um, So, you know, Cordy and Angel sort of, you know, spend a fair amount of time and have a significant interaction in this episode. And then, uh, you know, they they each interact with Lila at one point. Um, And she sort of swoops in, you know, the unexpected, uh, you know, savior at the end. Um, Yeah. We definitely should talk about that. Yeah. So it kind of starts with uh, Cordy practicing her moves under Angel's direction and kind of going through, um, you know, slowly all of her different, uh, you know, staving techniques, you know, and kind of, you know, so like along with the misogyny, you have this other kind of female empowerment, you know, unsubtle metaphor but you know it's there and with a sword with a sword with a phallic object um you know and it's all you know where it starts is you know is it uh which is it um aikido or whatever is where you like you use the the power of the the enemy against him so like you're not really attacking you're just kind of keeping him you know uh slow and kind of you know you're sort of outmaneuvering and keeping out of his way long enough to sort of stay alive but it's not really teaching Cordy you know how to defeat an enemy sort of how to stall for time until you know Angel can can swoop um 
And obviously so. that, that'll get you so far. Um, but yeah, not far enough really. Um, and I, I believe what they're actually doing. Um, once Angel like does sort of more fully teach her is, um, you know, especially at the end is, is a Tai Chi sword form, Okay, which is all about like, it's similar in that you're, the the idea is to redirect energy. Mm-hmm. It's not you're not attacking, but you're redirecting right. the opponent's energy, and so sim- similar to Aikido, I guess, where yeah, you're using the power against the enemy that. And that might have been the one I was trying to think of. Anyway, I couldn't really remember. Yeah, well, I think I I mean they're both sort of Eastern martial arts. I think they're probably not that different in sort of high level philosophy. Right. <laughs> but, um. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, and you get, you know, Cordy's, uh, you know, cheerleading experience sort of lending a hand <laughs> to of how she learns right. quickly and remembers it and can do it double time after being shown once, you know, how to, so already, you know, progressing more quickly than Angel would really kind of give her credit for and everything. Um, and you do like she kind of says like I already know how to save you know that's like you realize like yeah she's kind of been fighting monsters for like five years now or six years or whatever um so it's not like she's you know she's not the best fighter among them but it's not like she's unpracticed in how to stall for time um right right so yeah kind of what she wants to know is how do I, how do I defeat him? How do I take him, you know, take the, the enemy down if I need to? Um, so once the whole, I mean, I feel like there's not maybe so much to say about like the plot of the episode, like how they find out information and in what order and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of, they're, they're figuring out the mystery and, finding Billy and tracking him down and all that kind of thing. Um, But once they kind of realize what's going on, um, you know, it kind of goes back to, well, first Cordy not realizing why they would, why the powers that be would give her, you know, the vision of a victim who was killed. So something that is already done and that she can't do anything about. Um, you know, and she kind of comes to the conclusion that it's because she's responsible for him being out, you know, on the streets in the first place, Mm. um, which is not really the first time because in the last episode, the, the kind of prequel to this with, with Billy, where she's getting all the like painful and disfiguring, uh, visions. Yeah. It's she also had the thought of why are they doing this to me? Is this punishment? You know, like, so it's not really Mm. the first time that she's connected her visions with, you know, that the powers that be are, you know, I don't know, punishing her for something that she's done. Um, Which is interesting. I don't know what to do with that, but. Yeah, no. And I mean, I think. Yeah. it's an interesting, uh, it's interesting to think about, but yeah, I mean, so one thing, so 
that's it's not uncommon right so like for women who are abused in some way or or you know whatever to think it's their fault right sure. like that's sure that's part of the metaphor in a way um that's true i hadn't thought about it that way but you know works. and um it wasn't billy directly right before it was i mean th that was a different dynamic right because it's it was uh right the, the brain uh, guy thing yeah well it was kumar kumar right uh <laughs> uh who uh was being directed though by lila right to to do this but in order to get billy out so again there's like billy's still sort of the influence the ultimate influence behind it yeah all happening um right right and i mean to bring in lila you know i mean there's also that aspect of it too of the very much battered woman mm -hmm. protecting the men mm -hmm. and you know the people and doing it out of a sort of principle mm -hmm. you know like i'm not a quitter right i'm not a quitter i'm not someone who just leaves like i mean mm -hmm. if you sort of replace wolfram and hart with like abusive husband right. like th all the things she says could right. very much easily apply in that situation. yeah i don't switch sides when it gets tough yeah right yeah. right like yeah 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 and the calumny of uh uh lindsay who who did do that you know right you know he 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 left and didn't want to play the part i mean not that he was always the nice guy like i'm not saying like he was perfect or anything he certainly right. showed moments of misogyny himself but you know the fact that he uh sort of broke the mold at least for himself mm -hmm. you know and didn't follow that like she you know that that shows him to be a weak male you know and that kind of thing so like right. even that that sense of like it's not just men who sort of prop up that misogynistic mm -hmm. idea you know but the women who are the victims of it can right you know do that as well and you know whether that's out of fear or brainwashing or a little of both or something else altogether like mm -hmm. it's hard to say because you know i mean well i don't know actually <laughs> so you know I, right. I guess i won't say any more than that but just you know she definitely does sort of have that that attitude uh at least at first. Um, yeah, no. With, both with, with Angel and with Cordy. So. Yeah, with, with Lila, you definitely get the kind of like all the codependence and enabling that goes along with it, you know, of, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of Cordy's confrontation is, you know, why do you put up with it? Why don't, why don't you leave? Why don't you do something? Why don't you confront it? You know, something at all. Um, you know, and uh you know cordy's point about uh confronting lila is saying like you know i understand you because i used to be you um and this whole idea of like what it means to be the vicious bitch and everything like on the one hand that's that's the kind of thing that makes cordy have thoughts like maybe the powers that be are punishing me, you know, when she thinks about the, the person that I used to be in high school or maybe the person that 
she still feels like inside. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. in here, that's like the source of her her power, you know, and her ability to make a stand against Billy is, you know, if you're strong enough to be the vicious bitch, then you're strong enough to say no when people, you know, beat you down and everything. Um, And that kind of, you know, uh, confidence and, you know, power and ability to stand up for herself is what propels her to kind of go after him herself and everything. Um, so yeah, um, and then bringing Angel into it, yeah, there's the kind of little fake out of, is he going to be, uh, you know, influenced Mm -hmm. or not? And, you know, in, in the beginning, it's sort of teased when she's saying, you know, you're not always going to be there to rescue me. And oh, by the way, what if you're the one that I have to fight? You know, thinking about if he goes vampire, but like obviously here, that's not the real, you know, the the fear is Billy's influence and everything. Um, But that, you know, so to kind of, you know, bring this up between the two different groups of characters, you know, there is that idea of, and I don't know that we get a real definite answer one way or the other of like, to what extent is this Billy's influence and to what extent is it sort of latent in all of, mm. all of the men anyway. And all Billy does is just sort of like Lila calls it like a primordial misogyny, which kind of implies that it's buried deep down somewhere like in the genes or something. Um, and it gets sort of brought to the surface rather than being like put under like a spell or something. Um, so, you know, angel going vampire, going bad angel, going Angelus is sort of another metaphor for that. Right. It was like, he was the, the, the nice guy who went bad after, you know, Buffy slept with him and everything, which is just another version of this same kind of idea of, of any, almost in a kind of very dark way, any of these guys could have these killers lurking inside them at any moment. Um, Just waiting for the right kind of time to sort of, it gets brought out of them or whatever. Um, You know, so there is that that fear of, you know, what if Angel goes dark, which is always lurking anyway, but. I would just say, I mean, yes, like with specifically with Buffy and Angel and and the losing the soul, like that specific situation. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, But like sort of the metaphor of the vampire as a whole, especially considering, remember, who's the first vampire we see in the entire series is Darla. Sure. Like, no, and I did mean like, I did mean Angel yeah. specifically, not necessarily sure. like all of the vampires I, in the show. So that's yeah, a good no, that's I, a good distinction. I, I just want to make sure like we don't paint it too broad a stroke. But yeah, I, I mean I yeah. definitely agree like the way that Buffy and Angel are set up is is what you're saying. I just the vampire sort of right. thing in general is that is that I think that anyone can you know, right. have that treachery, meanness, whatever you want to have in them. That it's not specific to men or women. It's not it's like a gender people. thing. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a it's a people thing. Right. Um, yes, I. But 
but yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, yeah, and I definitely agree with you. Um, um, but also, sorry. Angel is protected by his vampire nature. Um, you know. Yeah. So, the mechanism of that. Because I'm not... I mean, this is me. I, I'm not saying I know one way or the other, because I, I don't. Um, the question that I have is, is it his... Uh, is it his vampire... Vampireness? Vampirity? Mm -hmm. what, whatever. Um, Vampirity? No. Vamp yeah. Uh, is it that? Or... Because he kind of says... Um, and I'm not going to get it exactly right, but, you know, he kind of talks about how, like, it wasn't, it wasn't hate. Like, he never mm. really killed out of hate or anger. Um, but for him, it was more, it, it was more sadistic, which is in a way quite a bit worse. Mm -hmm. Like, it, there's not, you know, there's, there's a reason why, like, typically manslaughter is a is considered a lower crime that's what i was than, just thinking like, like it hit he, he was first like degree first homicide. degree yeah 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 like his is like very much like planned out you know torturous you know right very you know very much a serial right no he's know, not the domestic attitude. abuser he's the serial killer right um, it's not right it's not like an impassioned rage right. or a you know something happened accidentally or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever those different sort of manslaughter things could be. Um, which, you know, I mean, maybe we can analyze all that a different time, but like, you know, so does that, I mean, again, like, I guess I, I'm just saying like, because, and thinking back about it even more, and like, this is just stuff that's occurring to me. So I feel like I'm sort of fragmented with it, but so feel free to like jump in or whatever but even like the flashbacks that we've seen of liam mm -hmm. uh like there's some misogyny and stuff there mm -hmm. like with the with the you know little servant girl mm -hmm. that you know he's making eyes at or whatever and and uh you know carousing with you know his drunken carousings with women which is what ends him up out in the alley with mm -hmm. Darla, you know, in the first place and that kind of thing. So, and I mean, not to say that you can't necessarily drunkenly carouse with the opposite sex and not, and have it be necessarily misog misogynistic, but there right. is sort of a predatory aspect there, right. especially when you're thinking like old world pub, like, right. you know, I mean, the women without being too broad and, description i mean i'm sure like many of the women didn't necessarily that wasn't their first choice but it was kind of right one of few positions that they were allowed to be in maybe right, you know right um that sort of thing so there's just a lot of sort of uh culturally misogynistic undertones even mm -hmm. in in liam beforehand so right so yeah, so I again like that that's not to say that I have an answer to the question of is it his vampire nature or is it his lack of hatred and whatever and which is maybe part of his vampire nature too. So I I don't know. I just I'm not 
100% sure it is the vampire nature, so I guess I would just throw that out there. Hmm. I mean, I'm interested to hear responses because I don't, again, I'm, I, I don't know that I'm decided in my own mind <laughs> one way or the other. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say because if it's not the vampire nature, then what is it that protects him? And, you know, um, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't really have a, a good alternative suggestion. Um, you know, other than it being a very purely literal thing, like, oh, he only has power over full humans. So it's a kind of your physical nature has more to do with your kind of spiritual, you know, or demonic nature. Um, you know, I mean, or is this the exception that proves the not all men hashtag, you know, (laughs) I don't, yeah, sorry. I'm saying that tongue in cheekly, but yeah, um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, all men except for angel. Um, yeah. Uh, so to kind of transition over to Wesley and Gunn, who are not immune to, you know, Billy's influence and everything. Um, it's definitely with Wesley that I was getting that kind of Margaret Atwood vibe, you know, because he's the one and he is the one of all of them that I feel like now I'm thinking about it connects most directly in a way back to the geek trio of of he hasn't been rejected by Fred, but is feeling, you know, nervous about, you know, going there with her. Will he be rejected or not? Should he even ask or not? You know, and it's kind of that sort of social awkwardness to him that, you know, I feel like aligns him with that pretty closely. And then sure enough, you know, when he kind of goes dark that's what he goes on about is um, you just keep laughing and running and, and all of her kind of teases and taunts that are specifically designed to, you know, draw him in, but frustrate him ultimately. Um, And his kind of that mixture of his humiliation at that and his anger at, you know, having to put up with it and never get, you know, what he wants and everything. Um, hmm. So, yeah, and it's pretty, that's pretty disturbing stuff between, you know, Wesley and Fred. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, and and, uh, and chasing her through a hotel with an axe, you know, definite shining, uh, you know, references there that. Um, yeah. Are, are, yeah quite noticeable i think um that was definitely picked up on by uh what was on the wikipedia page here oh dvd verdict Mm. called this episode uh homage to the shining with its unsubtle metaphor that misogyny is bad (laughs) um again beer bad misogyny bad sure uh yeah, well, anyway, and 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 yeah. I think by invoking that that movie slash book, you know, that definitely is kind of about the domestic violence, like that's sort of what that that story is about. You know, the abusive alcoholic 
you know, father slash husband, you know, who goes to town on his, you know, wife and child when they're alone in, in the hotel. So um, mm. that's sort of invoking those ideas too, I think. Sure. Um, I, I've actually never read or seen The Shining, so. Uh, I actually recommend the movie even more than the book, but uh, apologies Fair. to Stephen King, who, uh, you know, I think hey, dies a little inside every time somebody says that. But yeah, because he, I, if I recall, he wasn't a big fan of the movie. Uh, actually. yeah, kind of hated it with a fiery passion. I think is the, so that's I, the impression I've got. <laughs> I, I may have understated a little bit then. Um. Yeah, um, I would. I mean, I recommend both of them, but uh, that movie always stuck with me. Um. Very and of course, of course, you can't talk about The Shining without talking about the recut that makes it look like a romantic comedy. Like it looks like it a comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shining. Or, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not a romantic comedy, but yeah, like a comedy. Or yeah, something. like a quirky kind of. Yeah. Um, no, it's a funny movie, but it's the scariest movie I've a, ever seen. A, a dark funny. <laughs> it's very very dark, um, but very scary, very funny. Um, so, so what are we actually talking about here? Again? I don't know. Um, not not the shining. Stephen King. Um, uh, yes. Uh, no, no. I I I have no doubt that that's a meant to be a direct homage. Although I haven't seen anything that confirms from a writing perspective. Right. I mean, I I would be surprised if it wasn't. Yeah, um, if they didn't homage. have it in and, mind. And certain, cer certainly others have picked up the similarities as well. Mm -hmm. um, so so yeah so awful timing with the wesley fred ship you know it's like just as uh wesley's sort of gearing up you know um his his courage to you know say something you know he's got so far as to invite them all over to hang out you know and right. we're kind of trying to get to the place where it can be you know one-on-one -on -one and you know billy comes to town um yeah. So, uh, yeah, not, not great for them. And, um, you know, a, the poignant little moment at the end when Wesley's at home and has stayed at home for a couple of days, it sounds like, and is sort of sitting there with crumbled up pieces of paper around him. So you kind of get the idea of he spent the last three days rewriting and throwing out, you know, every kind of apology letter and explanation and everything and nothing is really you know satisfying for him you know and you get that sense of like he doesn't even know where to start you know that yeah. he's as I think Fred is more willing to uh you know just like you said write it off you know and say it wasn't really you. You didn't really mean it. It was these circumstances, you know, and all these things. Whereas Wesley seems more disturbed by, um, you know, things that he maybe didn't think were in him coming out and kind of finding a voice and everything. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and like, without giving anything away, like you get the sense that this could set a tone maybe for mm. the rest of Wesley and Fred's relationship mm. and, and even sort of Wesley going forward. Um, sure. Yeah. Right. How do you recover from trying to kill somebody, you know, like, right. and that's, and, and not even and, like, it's right. not even like they have a long relationship to draw on, but this is, this is setting the tone. This is like the first, you know, I think there've been little hints of it of, oh, Wesley might be, you know, interested, but this is the first one where, okay, we're acknowledging it. We're maybe going to go in that direction of have them be a couple. And this is the first real, you know, alone time they have. It's not exactly, you know, the best sure. foot to get started on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, um, and definitely, I don't want to miss pointing out, you know, Cordy has her kind of uh, heroic moment of standing up to Billy um, and, you know, uh, and Lila obviously, you know, comes in and finishes him off. And Fred also, you know, all the, the women get to do their own sort of rescuing in this episode, like. You know, sure. Gunn has to be knocked out because he's going to start to uh, go the same way as Wesley. So Fred has to sort of take care of herself and she uses her kind of ingenious little building, you know, skills to make like a trap and, you know, knock him out and everything. Um, yep. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I mean, even, and then. Okay, so you have Cordy and Fred, and then of course you have Lila being the one. You know, she's mm -hmm. she's the one who swoops in and saves everyone at the end, kind of mm -hmm. like you said, has her little superwoman moment. Um, which uh, so Stephanie Romanov, who who plays Lila, has said this was her favorite episode to work on, mm. precisely for that that she gets to be sort of the hero. Mm -hmm. at the end because usually she's not right <laughs> um it's a nice change of pace yeah and and i kind of like that like there's just no explanation like it's just she comes kills the guy and then like leaves like, yeah there's no real discussion about it or whatever it's you assume that maybe the things that either angel and or uh cordy said to her sort of sunk in and that those are the reason I mean, I think that's a safe assumption, mm -hmm. but again, like you don't know exactly her reasoning. So is this like, has she rejected her own argument of like, I don't, you know, I don't turn my back or I don't, you know, mm -hmm. uh, change sides or whatever, like, or is this like a recognition that like, that was just a BS mm. argument to begin with, or, you know, like, like, we don't really know because like i mean we'll have to wait and see like it does she stick around with wolfram and hard or not like does this you know how what's the fallout that she's going to experience of you know killing her client um you know and that sort of thing but uh you know for whatever reason she she does that so yeah 
Yeah. Well, and kind of Billy in the, in the face of some, like Billy is that dangerous to both sides. So it's sort of a, a common enemy in that sense of Mm. realizing, you know, the interests of Wolfram and Hart, like, okay, yeah, they're clients, but like, this guy is even dangerous to, you know, his own lawyers and pretty much everybody that he touches. So, you know, there's just that good sense of, uh, you know, some things are so evil that even Wolfram and Hart have to acknowledge, you know, that they can't be allowed to continue. Hmm. Sure. All right. Um, any, any wrap up, final wrap up on the episode? I know we're a few minutes over. Uh, no, I think that kind of covered everything. Um, yeah, I guess the only thing I would say is, you know, just sort of repeating that, you know, this does, this is sort of like a two-part episode just sort of separated by three episodes in mm-hmm. between. Um, so, yeah, uh, we won't necessarily see Billy again. But I do think we'll see some fallout, of course, from, mm-hmm. from this stuff and kind of be interesting to see where it all ends up. So. Yeah. All right. Until then, we shall move on. Yep. To uh, sort of, sort of another. I mean, we talked about with season one how BSG is already sort of more arc heavy. So like one episode mm-hmm. bleeds bleeds into the next anyway. But I kind of feel like again we're we're getting like a almost like a two part opener here because this mm-hmm. is you know this is directly leading off of the events right. Like we get okay, you know. Galactica has withstood the, you know, Battlestar's attack, and now, uh, you know, they've jumped to their new um, position with the fleet and whatnot, but, you know, this heavy raider that has landed, you know, crash-landed into the ship is now whatever. Like, you know, like, we're still, we're seeing, like, the pilots just, you know, getting out of their vipers and you know doing their sort of celebratory stuff but like you know the lights are still out so there's still like this like this is immediately after battle we're not you know really you know in the thick of things or or, you know we haven't really started recovering and stuff yet like fixing you know patching up the holes or whatnot right right well and like so in the last episode there was all the we spent good amount of time talking about the computer techno babble and stuff and like so you have them you know networking and you know using a firewall to keep the Cylons out long enough you know to jump which they do and then so it's like okay no sooner have we congratulated ourselves on a job well done that ah crap you know a virus gets in you know so it wasn't perfectly protected you know and suddenly the 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 power and the, you know, systems all start sort of misbehaving and fluctuating and turning off and everything. So, um, so they kind of got the result they wanted, but they picked up some things along the way. Um, and like pretty much immediately have to deal with, you know, the consequences of that. Right. 
Um, so those consequences being, of course, the invasion of a bunch of, um, I almost said Cybermen. <laughs> Cy- Cylon. Cybermen! Uh, uh, On the Galactica. No, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, talking through this episode. So I guess let's just keep talking about the Galactica at this point. Um, and, and then we can talk about the other locations that we see but even mm-hmm. on the galactica like there's sort of like three groups of people that we can mm-hmm. talk about um or or locations or whatever um so you you know first you get ty in the cic you know with gata and captain kelly and whatnot mm-hmm. and i mean i don't know that there's a ton to say like but right. this is more this is more of ty like in crisis mode mm-hmm. which we we talked about last week i think that um which is sort of a miracle that i can remember anything that we talked about last week <laughs> given how like tired and sort of weird that episode was apologies for that um but i do think that we if i if i remember correctly that we talked about how ty does sort of revel in those sort of crisis moments and and like you sort of expect him to fall flat on his face and then he doesn't right he doesn't right and how like tie in command even crisis aside tie in command is actually strangely better than tie as like second in command um sure (laughs) you know like he's better he's being better as the interim commander than he ever was as an xo really um at least that we've seen i think yeah at least for now um and I think too. So, yeah. I think too. You're getting more of his. I agree with you. There's not too much to say here because it's mostly like the plot stuff of, right. okay, Centurions like, are doing this, and okay, yeah. the computers are doing this or whatever. Um, but you know, you're getting a little bit more of Ty's, um, like his old experience coming in handy. Of okay, he can predict their movements because he was in the first war. Whereas, like, again, he's one of the only, uh, uh, besides Adama, who else was in the first Cylon War? None of them. So he can kind of bring some of that, you know, uh, memory back to it that the others just don't have. Yeah. Um, And so it just occurred to me, like, we've talked before about how um, Adama is sort of like exposition guy so now of course that's ty right right like sure he, he's the, he's the one relaying like you said all the plot you know the necessary plot details right so it's like oh the cylon there's one going aft and one going fordex and you know so that means they're going after this i've seen this before right. like here's what they're doing right. <laughs> you right. know he's Little he's the one yeah history info dump yeah yeah uh which is kind of funny yeah that's true Uh, that's true but yeah like this is i feel like even in the last episode like you got ty sort of running around like talking to people and doing things and he like this is this is like ty in the cic ordering Mm. things more than doing anything himself Mm -hmm. um which is fine like that's his role or whatever but yeah i don't like from an action perspective i don't i don't feel like we need to like talk much about it um but it does just sort of show again that like he is in crisis mode and so there's you know 
there's that dynamic there, which seems to be still working out pretty decently. Well, and it just occurs to me too, that like, this is just continuation of like the worst day in the CIC. Like if you kind of think about it, like they've gone sure. straight from like Adama's shooting into we lost the fleet. We have to find the fleet into uh, all the systems just shut themselves down and we're being boarded. So we have to sort of figure like, like this is just like, you know, turning into like the longest day ever. Um, right. So which, it's kind of, which, there's not much to analyze about that from a character point of view, other than to just kind of note it, I think. No, but it, but it is an interesting parallel then when you put it that way to the first season where you have like crisis after crisis, right? You have 33 where you right. have, again, the longest day ever. Right. They can only that was really sleep, the longest day. You yeah. know, 30, yeah. 33 minutes at a time, if that, you know, um, maximum. And, and you know, then you get like, oh, we've lost our water supply. We need to find water. We need to find food or whatever, you know, whatever comes next. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, sort of those first few episodes are all, we need this, we need this, we need this. And so it's working through those crises. Mm -hmm. These are, those were sort of like supply and population based crises, I feel like. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, 33 is, you know, Cylons are after us kind of thing. But sure. this is... This is definitely more like, you know, what, you know, more, more FUBAR-ish, you know, <laughs> yeah, heat, of, right. heat, heat of battle, you know, quick decision-making mistakes or situations that need to be addressed. So it's not like, these aren't like long-term, oh, you know, we're running out of water and we need to find more or we're running out of fuel and we need to find Tilium or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Like it, they're definitely, it's definitely more, and not that those weren't crises, but they're, you know, those are like resource crises. Right. These are, you know, crap. We lost the fleet that we're supposed to be protecting. And the only way to find them again is to go back to, mm -hmm. you know, where there's this base star that could potentially destroy us. Um, yeah. And, and, and then, and then, you know, now we're at infiltration, like, Oh, we thought we, you know, we overcame that one threat and we thought everything was safe again, but, oh, turns out we were wrong, our bad. Right, and, um, the, and the very things they have to do to correct the first thing lead to the new crises. Like, okay, we had to go back in order to, right. like, that was the only way to find the fleet, which we did, but the consequences of that is now you have, you know, Cylon Centurions and computer viruses aboard your ship. So, you know, it kind of each each fix spawns its own like you know sub problems um, that you now have to sort of figure out. So getting a little maybe even like with thirty three or all those resource ones, I feel like in season one we're maybe more straightforward. Um, like here's mm. a, just a problem that needs to be fixed, whereas like this strikes me as like a more complicated thing of like okay, I have a solution for the problem, but there's going to be fallout from that. And that solution is going to create its own problems, which will then have to be addressed, which might create different problems. And like, you know, it's a little bit more intricate, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um... We've got... 
you know, okay, so so we've got the Thai CIC, you know, folks kind of giving us the the commander's view of the situation and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, then we've got sort of like two other groups, right? So um, first of all, remember when we last saw Ty and Lee together, mm-hmm. um, which we don't see them together until the end of this episode, mm-hmm. but... Um, in last episode, when we saw them together, it was, you know, Ty letting Lee out of the brig and Lee saying, I promise not to, like, you know, foment insurrection and I'll return to my cell immediately. Mm-hmm. Of course, that doesn't happen because then when he comes back, there's darkness and Cylons and, you know, he... I don't... I'm trying to remember, and unless I'm forgetting something... Like, he doesn't actually talk to Ty at, until, like, quite a bit into the episode, right? Like, You mean, like, it, does on he the talk radio or something? Yeah, like, like doesn't... I? This, yeah, I feel like it's not till later, like, it's... I'll tell you, it's not till they pick up Jammer, because Jammer fixes, like, one of the phones or something. Oh, right, right, right. Um, so, yeah, so, like, so, like, yeah. he's just, he's just, like cat follow me like you know they meet up with some marines and they kind of go investigate what's going on mm-hmm. um you know and you know look for like the the lockers and you right. know, get some ammo and that kind of stuff um so yeah and it so like he doesn't even they don't even necessarily know what's going on until you know like they find you know like slaughter and like jammer you mm-hmm. know and whatnot and, um I do, I do uh, appreciate the, it makes me laugh, but when they first run into the first Cylon who like, you know, slashes the guy, um, yeah. I like that kind of always hilarious horror movie oh, moment. Uh, well, I do laugh at the way they all kind of run screaming down the hallway because it, it strikes me as funny because um, you don't often see like that's like a horror movie moment. That's not like a war movie moment sure like they don't do that in saving private ryan you know you don't like run screaming down the other like you stand and you fight but these guys do like they're suddenly in like i don't know the shining or you know friday the 13th or something um but it kind of so it makes me laugh but it also like i think it drives home the idea of like they've you know the 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 scariness and the horror of the Cylons of like, okay, they're usually in their planes, you know, fighting from the cockpit, but like, they're not used to seeing like a six or seven foot tall Cylon in front of you. And, you know, you can imagine that they've sort of mythologized this in their minds as this is what you don't want to meet in a dark alley. And, you know, um, this is the scourge of our race and everything. Um, So I kind of, I like that their first reaction isn't necessarily to fight. The first reaction is scream and run for the hills and just try to get as far away from it as you can. And then later on, you know, it's Lee's direction to kind of say, okay, we are actually soldiers, so we should probably, like, arm ourselves and go organize and, you know, try to fight them. But... Yes. Um... Right. So, okay. So from there, I mean, it's just a lot of like, you know, 
trying to find ammo and and then like and then once they do can you know connect with ty they're like oh now we're in on the plot of this episode right. so you know we need to get you know we need to get to the locational MacGuffin before mm-hmm. the Cylons do. Um, the other group that we have, which, you know, I, I get, you know, which Lee and them sort of run into, or I, I mean, not run into, but they go to the brig and stuff and see Roslyn and the guard and, you know, tell them kind of where to go and what to do. And, you know, again, I don't know that there's a lot to say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the biggest thing that happens with them, like, well, first of all, you just have like Rosin like telling the guard who already is kind of looking up to her as like yeah. sort of a quasi mystical right. figure. Right. Cause he's um, the one who said like, pray with me in the last right. episode and everything. Right. And so like, and even by the end of the episode, you get like Rosin like ordering him to take her back to her cell. So it's like. Yeah. He's not really her guard at that point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like... Yeah, the tail's like, wagging the dog a little bit. Like, yeah, okay, I'm ready yeah. to go. Escort me back. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, like, beyond all that, um, you know, you have Billy and Dee mm. sort of getting, you know, returning or or whatever, like, they're affection for each other um which earlier in the episode they kind of ran into each other and kind of had that had a relapse of the moment where like you know on the when uh um when the the stormtroopers or whatever you want to call them were on their way over to Rosalind's ship you know, you had like Billy, like, right. are you really doing this? And then Dee's like, are you really making, you know, uh, are you really making him do this? And, you know, that kind of thing. And so you get kind of like, like the snippiness of that in mm. the beginning when they first see each other, um, you know, where they're still kind of blame, they're blaming each other for like the actions of their mm. superiors kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And Billy kind of, calls d out because d is maybe a little harsher about it than mm-hmm. billy is mm-hmm. um but i mean they're both participating in sort of the blame right. game so um you know when when we see them later and d has sort of been traumatized by whatever it is she witnessed you know the killing mm-hmm. spree or whatever of the cylons um you get you know billy kind of reviving her and and you know like using her formal you know title and everything Mm -hmm. um but that recognition of like hey this argument we've been having is kind of stupid Mm -hmm. um you know which if we're looking at you know roslyn and adama Mm -hmm. as sort of like or as billy and d as sort of like proxies for roslyn and adama Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you know, you ha- like, is that a little foreshadowing maybe of, right, you right. know, what might happen when Adama wakes up and that kind of thing? Um, not that I'm saying it will. <laughs> uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. But um, yeah, just anyway. So like, just that idea of like, you know, when you realize that like, hey, what is the last thing I said to someone and, and, you know, does that become 
literally the last thing I ever say to them and, and that sort of reputation right. you know, pulls pulls them sort of back together mm-hmm. and and out of the sort of stupid fight that they've been having. Yeah, although I do kind of want to point out that it is a fight they keep on having. And I you know, I don't oh, yeah. and I don't know that we've had a real you know a strong moment of interaction between them that wasn't tainted by that really like like i mean granted they're not necessarily the characters we spend the most time with so maybe it's kind of hard to judge like based totally just on what you know the few scenes that they get together but it seems like there's always with those two at least so far these kinds of like false starts of you know we're you know we're we're going to get together where you know like they go on that date and they end up what ends up happening is like billy's spying for Rosalind and d kind of notices or you know it like it seems like there's always you know or he and or billy comes in here wanting to be apologetic and try to make an effort and d you know is doesn't want to hear it um you know so it sure. seems like it like there there is that recognition of maybe that those things were petty but also it's like the thing that they keep coming back to um yeah at least at least you know from what that seems to be like the pattern so far of what we've seen i don't disagree Mm -hmm. i guess i'm just saying like at this point like this is the realization they have now like i'm certainly not saying like everything is square between them for the rest of the series or anything. Right. But I feel like that's the effect of like this episode and and the things that they go through is to say like, Oh, maybe we were stupid before. Um, Not that that's not to say they will never be stupid again. Sure. (laughs) Um, So. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really have anything else to say about Rosalind and her team other than just, you know, I mean, Billy clearly doesn't know how to handle a gun. No. Um, and that kind of stuff. No, but, he has the safety on or off at the wrong moment, you know, all the time. Um, he has it, you know, it's ready to fire when it's sitting in his pants and then it, the safety's turned on when he's trying to shoot Cylon. So he's not, you know, not so good with the fighting. Um, and also, I mean, while we're kind of still on the CIC, or the, not CIC, the, the Battlestar people, in that mm-hmm. same category, I want to uh, mention that Jammer shows up again, too, um, who we haven't right. really seen since uh, the, whatever that episode, well, I can't think of the name, where, um, you know, there's the kind of witch hunt for the, you know, who let the suicide bomber in and everything. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and, uh, you know, you're getting Jammer as, even though he's part of the crew and Billy's not, you still are getting Jammer as um, one of the deck crew, you know, he, he, a knuckle dragger, he calls himself, um, you know, not a combat soldier of any kind. Right. So not wanting to, you know, fight you know, or shoot a gun or whatever. Although being disproportionately proud of himself at the end when 
he does do it. You know, is like that kind of ah, they're not not so big now, are you? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I feel like the only other really thing to wrap up with them is the kind of conversation between Lee and Ty at the end. Um, sure. So they come back to, uh, it kind of ends the same place as the last episode with, with Ty and Adama, you know, in Adama's bed and Doc Cottle's still on the way. He's still not there yet because <laughs> right. they've had to tell the ships to stay away, you know, and not land, you know, or they might get boarded. Um, so we're really kind of no further than we were there. Um, but there's this kind of, uh, we had the, the confrontation between the two of them over, you know, uh, Rosalind's or, or Rosalind's mutiny and Adama's coup, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, and, and a kind of mutual, uh, is contempt too strong a word? They don't have a lot of regard for each other, you know? Um, yeah. You know, and Ty says, you're not fit to wear the uniform. And Lee says, well, maybe, but neither are you. So we're even, um, you know, and, and a kind of at least yeah. it united in the fact that maybe Adama, they have more respect for him than they have for each other or themselves. So they might as well just yeah. wait for him to pronounce sort of moral judgment on everybody because everybody's sort of been screwing up. So. Right. Right. And that's the, I mean, it's not even so much that like, you know, I'm not fit to wear it and neither are you. And so we're even, but it's, it's that thing of, it's not actually e either of our decision. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we may or may not be even, but it's not up to us. Like we don't get to decide that. And, right. um, yeah, you definitely, like, I agree like that they, um, each sort of have more respect for Adama than for each other. And so that's kind of, that's the begrudgingness. So like, like where they do have contempt for each other, they at least acknowledge that Adama sees something in the other mm -hmm. <laughs> that maybe they don't see. And so, you know, there is that aspect of like, well, we respect him so even if I don't directly respect you, I'm going to at least respect what he would want, you mm -hmm. know, which is to not like punch you out and throw you in the brig again. You know, like what, you know, whatever, whatever, however they interpret that. Right. Um, and, you know, as much as, as much as we talked about Ty being the one who's sort of cool under fire, like, I mean, again, it's, you know, it's really Lee who's out there leading the actual team and doing the work right mm -hmm. so um you know once again like like we've talked about like we talked about in the episode with um Zarek and the prison ship and all of that like how interesting it is that like starbucks the one who goes and is like the crack shot even mm -hmm. though like she's not one of the marines she's a pilot mm -hmm. you know same thing here where it's like you get Lee, who's not a Marine, but he's leading the Marines and their little group, mm -hmm. you know, sort of out of necessity. But he also is the one who ends up being effective in finding 
the Cylons and stopping them and that kind of thing. So, or right. at least one group, one group of them. Right. Um, we, we sort of get a report that the other group has been taken out. So that's fine. But, you know, at least one of the groups, like it's Lee and his leadership that sort of stops them. Not, uh, you know, not the Marines sort of by themselves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we should talk about maybe the other groups for a bit though. Um, yep. maybe let's talk about Hilo and Starbuck cause I feel like that won't take very long. Uh, sure. so Hilo and Starbuck, uh, <laughs> they, they go, uh, they go to Starbucks old apartment. Yeah, they kind of just like they're like bumming around town. They're just kind of like hitting all the sites, being nostalgic. Starbucks, mm-hmm. Starbucks, like, oh, I thought there'd be more bodies. Like, okay, <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is interesting because you do get a little bit more about Starbucks, right? Like, you get like mm-hmm. her father was a piano player. She has some sort of artistic mm-hmm. impetus, you mm-hmm. know, with the paintings and whatnot. But also, um, even though she sort of talks about not wanting any of the stuff, like, she goes back and, like, changes her jacket, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, she puts on a different jacket, and she, like, looks around for, like, her favorite, you know, cigar cutter and lighter and, Mm -hmm. you know, cigar (laughs) that she can find. Like, Like, you do get the sense that, like, she's not maybe as entirely material as her words might imply Mm -hmm. um but you know i do think we can believe her when she says like she's kind of just in it for the fight like she's just sort of waiting to see where things go and and where things lead and so one of the things i was thinking about is just like how much does that explain her even decision to go back to caprica Mm -hmm. in the first place like Mm -hmm. Yes, we get that, like, there was some, like, she, you know, she sort of caught Adama in a lie, and so maybe she's feeling betrayed and mistrustful, but, like, there's also a reason why she's sort of the one who gets the most kills and whatever. She's also, I don't know if reckless is quite the right word, but maybe a little more willing to take on Mm -hmm. more danger than is strictly necessary. Mm -hmm. Um and which puts her in those positions to have the greater kills and and maybe she has a good dab of luck on the side right. you know to sort of help her through it if luck you call it <laughs> um and so yeah i mean i don't i don't necessarily have any big wrap up conclusion thing there but just you know just sort of her comments there about her own sort of motivations and stuff does kind of throw not throw into question but sort of maybe gives a little more insight into her decision even to come back to Caprica in the first place and and her willingness to like risk her life and potentially the lives of those around her because like she she abandoned the mission which was to blow up the base star which if you think about it you know I mean yes another base star came along but like that base star is what put everyone into danger. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Like it's, and 
led to, you know, uh, Boomer being the one to go back and right. led to all this stuff that Starbuck has no idea about what's going on, right. but right. caused a lot of mayhem. Like her leaving right. can be sort of directly attributed to a lot of the problems going on now. Um, right. And I hadn't quite thought about it this literally, but like, even just in her obeying orders is a form of kind of mutiny. So she's paralleled to Lee there of, you know, uh, uh, you know, disrespecting and disregarding the orders of your plan and your superiors and everything and going off book and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right that like her little monologue there definitely gives you a new insight. Like you get the kind of sense of like, you know, the Adamas, for example, you know, are very, um, you know, the kind of people who are soldiers because of they believe in the cause and they, they're patriots or they believe in, you know, civil liberties and justice and all this kind of stuff. Whereas, like, that doesn't sound like what's <laughs> and all, that all that crap. Um, whereas Starbuck, that doesn't seem to be, you know... Uh, you know why she fights that's not what it's about you know it's it's yep. it's kind of like because what else would she do um I'm yeah. not saying she couldn't do anything else but in her own mind you know she doesn't see any other option um yeah you know I'm not fighting because I have a cause to reclaim the past that the Cylon stole from us I'm fighting because well what else is there to do um you know, even though I think there's evidence to the contrary, like you said, like, is she really as, you know, uh, detached as she wants to sound? Because you have this apartment that she complains about, all the things she hates about it. And yet, yeah, it's a very lived in. It's very clearly been, like, you know, used and loved in its way. Like, you know, all of her kind of crazy art that's all over the walls, um, mm. you know, and keeping like her, you know, like you said, like her jacket and her cigar clipper and, you know, her dad's music, which she puts on, you know, I don't think you don't hoard those kinds of not hoard, but you don't keep on to those kinds of things if you have no, you know, sentimental value for them. Right. Um. Right. So, yeah, there's a. On the one hand, I believe what she says and that she thinks she means what she says. On the other hand, I think I think there's some cause to maybe question whether she totally even understands her own motivations and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And also want to point out um, the the piano music is a piece uh, called Metamorphosis One by Philip Glass. So interesting use of real world musical cue, you know, whereas we have a composer who writes beautiful music. Why wouldn't he just compose a piano piece himself? Well, I don't know. They decided to go with a piece hmm. that exists in our own world. So um, just wanted to sort of point that out. Interesting. So, yeah. So they take her keys. So they have her truck now. So, um, 
that's kind of the big other than I think it, that little plot is more interesting for the character stuff but in terms of the plot they they have a car now so that's sort of what they've got out of this episode is they're a little bit more mobile to go look for you know a, another way off of the planet right right uh so should we switch over and kind of finish up with the COBOL? Uh, the, yeah. The wacky COBOL gang <laughs> who are also having a terrible, rotten, no good, very bad day, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, okay. Um, maybe let's start with Baltar just because then we can get him out of the way. Um <laughs> And I mean, not that like, I don't know, because it's like Baltar's literally just sort of off on his own. Like, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, literally like end in his head and yeah. kind of like all over the place. But yeah, so we get more like Baltar dream sequences um, or visions or whatever we want to call them um, where. uh yeah, he has this baby, and then Adama comes up to him, kind of asks him, "Yeah, so is this the shape of things to come?" Is the question mm. uh, that he asks, and like, I mean, the shape of things to come, like that's an interesting way to put it. Like, mm. you know, is this the future? Is this you know? Like, we don't know exactly what he's talking about, although, like, the assumption I'd make is, you know, one, that this is the baby that, you know, Baltar saw in the crib, right? Mm -hmm. Which we get six telling him that it's their baby, like, right. the, the two of them. And Baltar's kind of taken aback and not entirely sure how that can be. Well, and, um, and I think six calls it the shape of things to come. When it's when they're looking at it in the cradle. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. You know what? I'd forgotten about that. So, so there's that link. Um, still a funny sort of way to phrase it. Sure. But, um, yeah. But yeah. So okay. So there's there's definitely the link there. But um, then Adama sort of takes the baby and goes to the river and starts drowning it. <laughs> and um, you know, Baltar freaks out, tries to find it in the water, and, and can't. Mm -hmm. um so you know if we're reading this sort of prophetically like this is you know adama you know ruining any chance at sort of like a human cylon mm -hmm. you know connection or mm -hmm. whatever you know uh uh melding what whatnot right um and, you know, Baltar doesn't, like, Baltar's taking it literally, like, why would, why would Adama kill a baby? Like, mm. you know, he's not, he's not thinking too metaphorically at this point. Right. He's just sort of had this strange vision, dream, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that whole sequence. I mean, I. I feel like we just sort of keep getting these Baltar visions and, mm -hmm. and we just have to sort of take them as they come and then. Yeah. Um, 
it's the only thing I would add is how it it's sort of changing perspective a little and at least I think in this episode starting with that with that dream it positions you know Adama as kind of the bad guy and Baltar mm. as the good guy in this scenario like if we want to make the logical jump into seeing the the shape of things to come this sort of Cylon human union as a good thing which is you know an assumption we don't really know what it means or whether you know but if we're invited to kind of see that as this sort of glorious divine thing that we're shown you know then suddenly Adama is the one who wants to kill off that possibility and Baltar is this divinely appointed protector um sure. which is a it's quite a role reversal from them you know previously where you know Adama is the great protector of the fleet and humanity and it's Baltar who's sort of you know complicit with the Cylon sabotages and genocide and everything um you know so I mean obviously it's Baltar's dream vision so Adama is biased in this it's not like is Adama really Adama or is he kind of you know Baltar's perception of Adama might be slightly skewed or whatever um mm. but you know it makes Adama like a menacing kind of figure sure. in a way that I don't think he'd really been that before sure um so then we get so sort of the connection then right is crash down who mm. is still yelling at people for various and sundry things like he's not really i mean we've already seen he's not a great leader like mm -hmm. again we like comparing him to ty this is like everything he does is like what not to do in a crisis right. um which is don't take responsibility and blame everyone else for everything and don't take your time and make sure you have all your ducks in a row before you know yeah leaving your gear behind and that kind of stuff right um which so cut to chief and callie returning uh with the med kit you know but without uh uh what's his name uh tarn tarn thing i kept wanting to say tran and i knew that wasn't right i was flipping the letters there uh tarn uh and like chief being really pissed um and sort of like uh you know sort of trying to figure out what's going on and whatever and and callie having to like shout him back into the moment um and and you know pointing out that it's not the chief's fault even though it seems like he thinks maybe it is um Mm -hmm. they get back of course by the time they get back they're too late the they can't save Sasinus, so they have to sort of euthanize him mm -hmm. with morphine or morpha or Morpho. whatever it is they yeah, call right. it yeah um and of course chief gets really angry about it all and starts yelling himself you know because of the feudal aspect of it so 
Um, needless to say, this group is pretty um, so solid. They're all in agreement with each other, <laughs> and everything's going to go well from here on. Set up for a really um, successful mission on Cobalt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've already lost several members, right? Like, I don't, I don't know who. Else, like, at least the pilot. Yeah. And at least the pilot now and Tarn. Sinus and, and, and Tarn. Sinus, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, can't I can't think if there were others who who we've lost at this point, but you know, I mean, that's of the like eight or nine people total. Like they've lost, you know, a third to a half of them. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, yeah, not, not doing so hot. Um, and, you know, I mean, we've already run into Cylons, so we know they're out there yeah. somewhere. Not sure when they'll show back up, but, um, so I guess now, so we have Crashdown, Baltar, the Celix, mm -hmm. Chief, and Callie. So we have five people left, right? Unless yeah. I'm missing anyone. No, I think that's everybody. Um, out of two Raptors. That had originally left. Right. The first one got blown up and then this one crashed. Right. So, yeah, yeah, definitely not looking so hot for their mission so far. Which you have to wonder, like, does anyone even remember them at this point? Right. Like, right. Like, certainly no one on the Galactica seems to. Right. Like, no, there was. Thinking about them. There was. In the flurry of we have to jump away, um, we talked about Gaeta keeping everybody responsible, and I think he mentions what about the people on COBOL, and, and Ty's call is, well, they're going to have to wait. And so, okay, like, they jumped away and they found the fleet again, but they still have to wait more because, obviously, we talked about all the other problems. So it's right, definitely, right. you know... You know, you think eventually they'll get back to them, but they have their own issues to be worrying about and everything. So the rescue party is is quite delayed for these guys. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, we'll we'll see where all of their camaraderie and connectedness gets them. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, wait, that's not what's going on warm fuzzy um, feelings on cobalt um amid all the uh the skulls of their human sacrifices you know that's the one other thing we see is that there's all these sort of myths about paradise back on cobalt when humans and the gods lived in harmony and then baltar kind of finds himself in like a den of bones um sure so you know this being a kind of, I don't know, cursed or barbaric kind of place, you know, to sort of begin with. So um, it's continuing that trend. Right. Well, it's like, you know, when you hear stories about how indigenous peoples lived in harmony and peace, and then you find out that they did like human sacrificing and right. stuff, you right. know, like, well, maybe relative harmony and yeah. peace. <laughs> Not so peaceful for the, you know, 13-year-old virgin sacrifice to your sun god, but right. hey, you know. Right. Whatever. Um, all right. On that happy note, <laughs> hey, I, we actually managed to come in a few minutes early, so let's not ruin it. Nice. 
but yeah, we'll be we'll be back with um, actually our our next and last, I believe, Halloween episode of Buffy. Interesting. Um, and uh, uh, the next phase, we'll we'll pick up where we left off with all of our various characters on uh, VSG. Having so. a great day. Um, yeah, best day ever. <laughs> all right, sounds good. See you then. Thank mm-hmm. you.